0: traveler through the Bible. Please join me for the next part of my journey through the Scriptures. Stay as long as you like and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible. Today, how does any Christian make sense of what is happening in the world? How does he or she know and understand what God's plan is for their lives? As a young man who had just begun a new phase of his life and was looking for answers to these same questions, A local pastor gave me some advice that I still remember to this day. This was the way he made sense of what was happening in the world and how he began to understand God's plan for his own life. He told me how each morning he prepared for the day by sitting down with a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other. He said that it took one to understand the other. Now of course technology has evolved somewhat and newspapers have been replaced with Google, cell phones and the internet. But the principle remains the same. While the newspaper or the internet records the visible events that are taking place on the earth at this moment, the Bible looks beyond to the invisible realm, where the sovereign will of God determines what will take place on earth. We cannot really understand life until we see both realms, the visible and the invisible. This is what the book of Revelation does for us. It opens that invisible realm to us. As we study this last book of the Bible, We will learn much about what is going to happen on earth, as well as what is happening right now. The latter is covered by these seven letters to the seven churches. The entire church age is portrayed and symbolized for us through these letters. If you read the first eight verses of Revelation, you will notice that this is the only book in the Bible that contains a promise of special blessing to those who read it. In Revelation 1 verses 3 it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This blessing is not limited only to the prophecies that are recorded from chapter 4 onwards, but the blessings are for the whole book, including these seven letters. In this passage I have just quoted, the word blessing in Greek is based on the Hebrew word esher, and not the normal word for blessing, which is barak in Hebrew. Barak means to bow down, Esher, however, means to guide. So, Revelation can be a blessing by being a guide to its readers. Furthermore, the prophet Daniel was told in Daniel 12 verses 4 to specifically seal up the words of his prophecies until the end times. This is in direct contrast to the book of Revelation where Jesus tells John specifically in Revelation 22 verses 10 Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. I read recently about a study done by Evangelism Explosion earlier this year. The study revealed that during the COVID-19 pandemic, almost 22% of non-believers had become more interested in God and spiritual matters than ever before. According to the study, they were reading their Bibles more, they were listening to sermons more, searching for answers online and talking more to christian pastors and counselors than ever before the church is supposed to provide answers to people's questions hebrews 12 2 encourages us to look to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith and peter declares in acts 4 12 that there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved so what do you say to somebody who is suffering how do you counsel people who are going through great times of sorrow and tribulation what would you say to an individual whose family has been torn apart because of the stand they have taken for christ what if your neighbor has lost his job and is experiencing poverty how would you reach out to him and what would you say the second letter of jesus to the church at smyrna gives the Lord's own formula for encouraging those who are going through suffering and sorrow and pain. It is a personal letter, written to a church that was living under tremendous pressure. The word Smyrna actually occurs three times in the New Testament and all in connection with Jesus Christ. This is one of the two churches in a list of seven churches that Jesus Christ does not say anything negative about. In the last podcast, we dealt with a letter to the church at Ephesus, And although on the surface Ephesus was a good church, Jesus had said to them, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. However, when you read the letter to the church of Smyrna, you don't find anything that he is critical about. Why did this congregation suffer so much, so much so that myrrh was used in a representation of the church itself? Here is a little history to set the stage. Smyrna was located on the coast about 65 kilometers north of Ephesus. It was one of the most prosperous cities of Asia. There was a hill behind the city called the Pagos, and around the crest of that hill a number of pagan temples had been built. These temples formed a rough circle, and because it looked like a crown, Smyrna was also called the Crown of Asia. That will explain the reference that we will find later in this letter. Smyrna was one of the major centers of emperor worship in twenty six a d during the reign of tiberius caesar a temple had been erected on the pagos to honour the emperor and so the christians of smyrna were challenged every year to choose between declaring jesus is lord or caesar is lord every year every citizen of smyrna had to burn incense to caesar and in exchange they would receive a certificate to show that they had done it Without that certificate, they could be persecuted because they were violating the highest law in Smyrna. This was the test the Roman rulers applied to all their citizens, and this meant that a great deal of pressure and persecution came upon this church because of their unwillingness to say, Caesar is Lord. There was also a large community of Jews within the city who were hostile towards the Christian faith, as we will see. The letter to the church of Smyrna is very short, it is only four verses long. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. That is Jesus' appraisal of this church. It is obviously a church in trouble. The name Smyrna means myrrh. Smyrna had for a long time held the exclusive rights to the export and import of the spice myrrh. It is a very fitting name because myrrh was a fragrant spice or perfume obtained when the tender bark of the flowering myrrh tree is crushed. Today it is the Turkish city of Ismir. Here was a church that was being crushed through persecution. It was tough to be a Christian in Smyrna because they had to live constantly between two extremes. There was a rich and loving fellowship within the church which must have greatly encouraged them and strengthened their faith. But outside, in the city, they faced continuous, cruel, and persistent hostility. Thus, the Christians of Smyrna live between these two extremes. But notice how the Lord introduces Himself to them. He says in verse 8, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. These statements are extremes, first and last, death and life. Jesus presents Himself as the Lord of the extremes. He holds all the forces and events between these two extremes. In the Great Commission, in the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, just before he ascended to heaven, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the ages, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. So it must have been a great encouragement for the Christians at Smyrna to receive this short letter from their Lord. You will notice that there is an increasing scale of troubles harassing the church. The first thing that Lord says in verse 9 is, I know your tribulation. The Greek word for tribulation is thlipson which means distresses or pressure, it describes the crushing, unending pressure on them. This word comes from the term used to describe an ancient form of torture where they would take the victim and lie him on his back and then put weights on his chest, one upon another, until those weights would begin to crush and make it impossible to breathe. The victim of that torture would be slowly crushed to death by those weights. We can best understand what that would be like if we think about the Holocaust in Germany and the continual pressures that the jews faced daily under the nazi rule hounded and harassed on every side their shops were subject to frequent vandalism and looting their livelihoods were destroyed their synagogues were defiled or destroyed their properties were seized they were humiliated stigmatized slandered harassed and physically assaulted without mercy eventually even their lives were taken It is this kind of tribulation and pressure these Christians in Smyrna were enduring. Do we really think that our problems here in South Africa are distressing? And do we really know what tribulation and persecution is? The second thing Jesus says in verse 9 is, I know your poverty. We do not know exactly what made these Christians poor. Smyrna was a prosperous city, but it may have been that this poverty was caused by the persecutions they were experiencing. They might have had their homes ransacked and their possessions confiscated. This was common in the early church in times of persecution. Perhaps they had to resort to menial work and to go hungry because they did not have enough money to get by. The Greek word for poverty is pitochia, which is associated with the word beggar. This describes someone who is so destitute that they are reduced to begging for food. Yet despite this picture of poverty and persecution, the Lord says to them, You are rich. Riches do not make one happy, fame does not make one happy. Jesus says the true riches are those that come from within, where the heart is filled with the grace and love of God. There is an experience of close relationships with other people. They become dear and precious to us. That was the experience of the church at Smyrna. Thirdly, Jesus says, I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. There was a smear campaign going on against these Christians. Lies were being told about them. Historical records show that all manner of slanderous and despicable stories were spread about Christians in the first century. Because the Christians talked about eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ, they were accused of being cannibals. Also, because they refused to visit the pagan temples or to acknowledge the gods of the pagans, they were called atheists christians talked often about being members one of another and of loving one another so they were accused of sexual orgies these slanderous and false accusations are what produced much of the persecution of the early christians and it came as we are told here from false jews these jews were physical descendants of abraham and they had a synagogue here in smyrna but like the pharisees who harassed and hounded jesus they persecuted these believers proving they did not have the spiritual insights of being true descendants of Abraham. They were, in effect, a synagogue of Satan, and were far removed from being true children of Abraham. Something we also need to consider is that being a Jew in the Roman Empire was not a punishable crime. The Jewish religion was characterized as religio licita, which is Latin for permitted religion it was a roman custom to permit foreign communities throughout the empire to maintain their ancestral religion unless the specific practices were considered as disruptive or subversive christianity was however a religio illicita or an impermissible religion as it was regarded as disruptive and subversive if you have ever been the victim of slander you have at least a taste of what the christians in smyrna were forced to endure Jesus could understand what the church at Smyrna was going through, for he had not only been lied about and verbally abused, but his enemies had spat in his face. They had physically assaulted him. They beat him with rods. They mocked him and pressed a crown of thorns onto his head. Then they nailed him on a cross to die. If anyone understands what it means to be slandered, attacked and abused without cause, it is Jesus. But the worst is yet to come. Jesus says in verse 10, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. This, by the way, is the first mention of the devil in the book of Revelation. Jesus acknowledges that he is going to allow this to happen. The devil will put some of them in prison. Roman prisons were terrible places where prisoners were faced with the threat of execution at any moment. But our Lord has three words of encouragement for those who will endure this severe form of persecution and makes three statements to strengthen the hearts of the believers in Smyrna. Firstly, you are going to be put into prison to test you. The emphasis in the Greek is on the word you. Many people think that it is God who needs to learn something through this test, But God already knows what we can take before we ever have to endure it. But it is us that will learn and it is to show us how much we have grown. Why does God test us? He tests us to strip away our superficial supports that we have been relying on and to show us how much we have truly learned to rely upon the grace and the strength of God. Secondly, Jesus says the suffering and testing will only be for a limited time. He is going to test you for 10 days. We do not know when or how this took place, although it undoubtedly did occur to the church at Smyrna, but the encouraging thing is that the Lord set the limits. No force or power on earth could make the tribulation last 11 days. Thirdly, Jesus says, Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is intended to be a contrast to the crown of Asia, the pagan temple buildings that were built on the hill of Pagos. The temples on the hill of Pagos were an earthly crown, a recognition of earthly status and a source of great pride to the city. But Jesus said that he will give something much better, a crown of life, of eternal life. Paul said in his letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 18, that I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And again in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 17, Paul says that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Prophetically, this church represents the period in history from about 160 AD to 320 AD, when Constantine, the first Christian emperor, came to power. This whole period has been termed the Age of the Martyrs, this was not the only period when christians have been martyred but in this first period they were persecuted in ways almost beyond belief one of the first martyrs was a man named polycarp who was the bishop of this very church in smyrna in one fifty five a d at the age of eighty six he was sentenced to death by being burnt at the stake for his faith he had refused to say caesar is lord and responded to the roman proconsul who had condemned him to death by saying eighty-six years i have served christ and he never did me any wrong how can i blaspheme my king who saved me polycarp was among the first recorded christian martyrs his steadfast obedience to christ is a powerful testimony an inspiration not only to the church he pastored so faithfully in smyrna but to christians throughout the centuries it is interesting to note that during this period of a hundred and sixty years There were 10 separate periods of persecution from the Roman emperors, beginning with the emperor Domitian in 96 AD and continuing to Diocletian, the last emperor before Constantine. The 10 days of tribulation are thought by some theologians to refer to these 10 periods of persecution. In verse 11, in keeping with the pattern of the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, Jesus appeals to the individuals in this church. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. What is the second death that Jesus refers to? To understand the term second death, we need to look near the end of Revelation in chapters 20 and 21, where the phrase second death appears three times. There we are shown in vivid graphic terms what is meant by the second death. It is the terrible lake of fire, the symbol of the final judgment of the unrepentant, those who refuse the gospel of the grace of God. The second death is meant for the devil and his angels, but it will be shared by those who choose Satan's way. They will be separated forever from God, tormented in spirit and soul, symbolized by the torment that fire gives to the physical body. This is, in fact, what believers have asked for all their life. These are people who say, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want him in my life. They will eventually be given their way. For the rest of eternity, they are separated from the grace, mercy, and love of God. The second death is the most appalling torment the human spirit can bear. I will paraphrase what Jesus is saying to the believers at Smyrna. He is saying, if you listen to what this letter is saying to you, if you trust me in times of pressure and persecution, I will give you the gift of eternal life, and you will have nothing to fear from the judgment of God. Remember what Paul writes in Romans 8 verses 38 to 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are all destined to die one day. Some people listening to this podcast will die quietly in their sleep. Some might go through great suffering through illness, although the Lord has promised it will not be more than they can bear. Some may even be martyred for their faith someday, just as Polycarp and so many other Christian saints of past and present ages have been. No matter what happens to each of us, in what form physical death may come to us, we have the promise of Jesus, that, as his faithful believers, we can never be hurt by the second death we should therefore decide just as the believers of smyrna that we shall be faithful unto death no matter how or when that death may come we can be certain of the fact that absolutely nothing in heaven or on earth will ever separate us from the love of god if we look at the letter to the church of smyrna we have to ask ourselves are we really justified in thinking that we are having a tough life here in south africa and are somehow suffering persecution And are we really worthy of being called Christian? When the rubber hits the road, will we stand out? And will others be able to see Christ in us when hardship strikes, or will we blend in with the world and become irrelevant? This is David Wiles, your fellow traveler in Christ, and this has been the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, episode 22.